while it could be a good guide, you don't want to just look at the OM, take those numbers, plug them into your cash flow calculator, or simply take their net operating income and base a purchase price off of that. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got a very practical episode that will help any listener who is looking to underwrite a value-add apartment community. We're going to talk about the thought process and specifically the steps that you go through to do so. And there are 10 steps. We will be discussing steps one through five on today's episode and then steps six through 10 on a future episode. So this is part one of two. So if you are listening to this for the first time, then great, you caught the first part and make sure you listen to the second one to get the full picture. We broke it up. We were originally going to do all 10, but I mean, it's just a whole lot of information in one conversation. So we thought it would be best for sanity purposes to break it out into two episodes. Additionally, Theo's got some updates on a property and it Mm -hmm. totally relates to underwriting. So we're going to talk about that. He's working on putting together his first syndication and he'll talk through what he's learned on a particular deal and underwriting and things like that. And we got a new book coming out, Best Ever Apartment Syndication book. It is going to be available for pre-order in a couple days. So not right now, but pretty soon. And it is officially going to be launching and being published, which I guess is the same thing, on the week of September the 10th, most likely September the 12th. But the week of September the 10th is when it's going to be published. It's going to be available on Amazon. And when you pre-order, and you can pre-order by going to apartmentsyndicationbook.com. How easy is that? Apartmentsyndicationbook.com. You go there. The reason why you pre-order is because you get a bunch of goodies for doing so. One specific thing you'll get is Gene Trowbridge's book on apartment syndication. His book is called Syndication. It's a whole new business. I personally have read this book. You're going to get this ebook version of Gene Trowbridge's book, Syndication. It's a whole new business. When you pre-order the best ever apartment syndication book and you'll get a bunch of other things. So when you go to apartmentsyndicationbook.com, you'll be able to do that. Not immediately because that page is not up as of this moment. However, it should be up within 48 hours. So whenever this episode goes live, which will be August the 17th. So give us until August the 20th and then go back to that page and you'll be able to pre-order the book and get that stuff. We're only offering these extra goodies for 
anyone who pre-orders the book or purchases the book during the first week. And how we know you do that is you simply email us a receipt to info at joefrails.com. So there we go. That's the good stuff. It will be very valuable to you. And let's get into the underwriting of an apartment community, steps one through five. So as Joe mentioned, today we'll be talking about top five tips for underwriting a value-added apartment community. And a little context. So these tips are from me personally, going from buying a duplex to buying fourplexes to now looking at apartment syndications. And also based off of having conversations with people in your consulting program, Joe, as well as people at my meetup, my friends, just anyone I've seen underwrite a deal that has more than one unit. And I know everyone has a different way to underwrite the deals, but once you're underwriting apartments, you realized how detailed you can get compared to how not detailed I was before. So all these tips are things that you might not have thought about when you were underwriting a deal. And of course, we're talking about this in the context of value-add apartment communities, but if you use a little bit of creative thinking, most of these can apply to really any type of long-term rental you're doing. These tips will help you create a better underwriting model in the beginning, which will help you create a better business plan and create a more competitive offer. So on that note, the first tip is about setting an offer price. So let's talk about what you're not supposed to do first. So you don't want to just look at how the property is currently operating, determine what the net operating income is, and then base your purchase price off of that because that's not how you're going to be operating the property. So many people do that too when they're starting out. They say, well, this property's eight and a half cap, so I guess it's a good deal, but they're not looking at how they would actually run the property in the business plan, right? Exactly. So for that, when I first started out, I could never find a deal because I was saying, well, I need to buy it. The purchase price needs to be based off of how it's currently operating. That purchase price is always going to be lower than people who underwrite it differently, which is how I'll explain in a second. So what you also don't want to do, you don't want to just offer price based off of what it's going to be once it's stabilized. So you're obviously going to use that, but you don't want to just term, okay, well, I'm going to raise the rents by $100 day one, and that's what the property is going to be operating at, so I'm going to buy at that price. Instead, what you want to do is you want to do a combination of those two. So you want to take how the property is currently operating, that's how it's going to operate day one. You want to determine what your business plan is going to be to stabilize the property and how long that's going to take. That'll be how the property operates that month 12, month 18, month 24, however long it's going to take for you to do your value add renovation plan. And then you want to know how long you plan on holding the property for. So five years, seven years, 10 years, how long do you plan on holding the property for? And then breaking out all those five, seven, 10 years into each month, and then adding up all those months for the 10 years to determine what the annualized cash on cash return and what the IRR is going to be based off of that exit. So essentially, you're creating a 5, 7, 10-year projection going from how it's currently operating to stabilized and then continuing to operate at the stabilization with the annual rent increases and expense increases. And then also determining when you're going to sell, how much you're going to make when you sell, because that's also a big chunk of profit you're going to make. And then from that point, you can determine what the cash-on-cash return is going to be. And then you can go back and be like, all right, so... Right now, the offer price that they want is a million dollars. But if I input a million dollars into my cash flow calculator, the cash to cash return is only 5%. I want 10%. So by an iterative process, you figure out what the purchase price needs to be for you to meet the return goals, either you or in this case, your investors. That's a big thing because if you don't do that, then you're not going to be able to create a competitive offer because you're either going to submit an offer that's too low because you're just basing it off of what it's currently operating at, which you shouldn't do because it's going to be doing better, or it's going to be too high because you're not 
accounting for that time in between of working up to stabilizing the property. And your returns aren't going to be accurate once you actually purchase the asset. So when you're making your, your model, when you're buying a model, or when you're using a friend's model, you want to make sure that's not just one year of data is being used and you're basing your price off of that. And a lot of cash flow calculators I've seen, that's how they're set up. It's just you input what the property is going to operate at either currently or when you buy it. And then you just assume that's how it's going to be the entire time you hold the property. And you're not really accounting for the sales proceeds at all. So it's going to be inaccurate. And if you're using other people's money to buy these assets, they're going to want to know what the returns are going to be going into it, or at least an idea. And they're not going to be happy when that's not the case because the initial financial model was incorrect. So I wanted to leave with that one because I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen a difference between the underwriting value at apartment community with a really good cash flow calculator as opposed to having a poor cash flow calculator or how people underwrite deals for these smaller multifamilies. Yeah. And you talked about making sure that it has the right number of year projections, whether it's a five-year projection or shorter or maybe longer. And that's something I just want to reiterate because there might be a deal that makes more sense on a seven to 10 year projection. And if we get accustomed to always plugging in five years for our projections, then we might be missing out on opportunities. And that's something that we're also looking at with our company, Ashcroft Capital, is looking at, okay, what makes the most sense for this particular deal? Deals that are not as heavy as value-add deals, but they have healthy cash flow and they're in really good areas, but they do have some value-add component to it. They're just not as heavy as a property that isn't in as a desirable area and has a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. The former can be a seven-year or maybe even a 10-year versus the latter, which could be a five-year. And when you look at the initial projections from the brokers of, okay, this is the cap rate, you'll want to take that into consideration because as you said, we look at how it's currently operating, but we also look at the business plan. And this is just a friendly reminder to just take a peek at what the business plan would look like and what the projected returns would look like at five, at seven, and at 10 years and make sure you're in lockstep with your mortgage broker because the loan terms can be much more favorable the longer you have the property because the longer term loan you have on deal and that can be a big influence on what you end up doing. Exactly. And one more note is that when you're in the cash flow calculator, when you're doing these projections, make sure you're breaking it out by months. And this is especially important during the improvement period because if you break it out by year, then you're assuming you're going from the current rents to the stabilized rents in one fell swoop. If you do it by month, it'll break it out over time. So for example, let's say you have an 18 month renovation period. Instead of it going from day zero current rents to month 12 stabilized rents, instead over that 18 month period, you'll incrementally have the rents being raised because in reality, that's closer to what's actually going to happen. You're not going to buy the property, kick everyone out day one, have brand new tenants, brand new rents, brand new units after a week. You have to determine how long it's going to take and then make sure you're accounting for that timeline in your calculator. For all the things we talk about, as Joe mentioned, adjusting the business plan length, adjusting the renovation period, adjusting the the financing years versus months, 
when you're underwriting deals, just after listening to this, just see how big of a difference this makes for the returns. See how big of a difference it makes by having the renovations broken up by month instead of year or by not just underwriting based off of once the property stabilized. It'll be multiple percentage points difference for the, the return projections. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is particularly for deals that are represented by real estate brokers and there is an offering memorandum. And this tip is don't take the offering memorandum at face value. So at the end of the day, the offering memorandum is a marketing package created by the listing broker who wants to sell the property at the highest price possible. So in the offering memorandum, it'll have the broker's pro forma. So what they are saying the property is going to operate at. But of course, that is based off of, again, their goal of selling the property at the highest price possible. So while it could be a good guide, you don't want to just look at the OM, take those numbers, plug them into your cash flow calculator, or simply take their net operating income and base a purchase price off of that. Instead, what you want to do is you want to use the T12, which is a trailing 12-month expenses. So these are the actual trailing 12 months of profit and loss of the property. And you want to use the current rent roll. And then you want to use your own stabilized assumptions based off of how you plan on operating the property. Again, the broker's not buying this deal. The broker's not operating the property. Their goal is to sell the property for as much as possible. So do not trust the offering memorandum in regards to the pro forma. At the same time, you also don't want to trust the rental comps that they have on there, which I'll get into in a second. So before I get into the rental comps, I'm going to talk about number three, which is about the rental premiums. So when you're buying a value-add apartment deal, your plan is to renovate the units to add amenities, upgrade amenities, pretty up the outside with the purpose of raising the rents. And the question is, is how much can you raise the rents? And that is what a rental premium is. So it's the difference between what you are going to get versus what the property is actually at currently. And to calculate the rental premiums, sometimes they'll be listed in the offer memorandum in the pro forma. So the broker will say, oh, this is what it will be based off of either our rental comps or based off of the pre-run rental premiums that the current owner has already received. That latter is actually something that you can use. So if you look at the rent roll, but again, don't just trust them. Look at the rent roll and see, did they actually get those proven rental premiums? So if they've already renovated 10% of the units and they're able to achieve a certain rental premium, making sure that it was spread out over a 36 month period, making sure that they were recent, then you can use that as a rental premium assumption as long as you confirm it with your property management company and with your rental comps. If the current owner has not done any renovations, don't just plug in the rental premiums offered by the broker in the offer memorandum. Instead, you want to perform your own rental comparable analysis, have your property management company do the same thing, and then use the results of that to determine your rental premiums. So that's step three. It's kind of in tandem with step two, which is don't trust the rental premiums in the offer memorandum either. Now, step four is some tips on rental comps. So there's two parts to this tip. Number one, as I mentioned before, is you don't want to trust the rental comps at face value from the brokers. You want to look at the actual properties first just to make sure that they actually are similar enough to the property you're looking at. So there are three things in particular that the brokers might do with the rental comps. So these are things that you need to look for when you're analyzing an offer memorandum. Number one is the distance to the subject property. So this is why it's so important to understand the market on a neighborhood by neighborhood, street by street basis, because sometimes you'll look at an offering memorandum, it'll have a map where the properties are, and it'll have the subject property of the star, and then it'll have the rental caps scattered all over the place. 
and some of them may be multiple miles away. And in certain markets, that could be fine. But in other markets where one street over, it's a C neighborhood and the other street over is an A neighborhood, that could be an issue because you need to have a property that's in a like market as well as a property that's similar to the subject property. Even if it is very close to the subject property, that could still be a different type of market. That's one. Look at the distance of the property and look at the market the property is located in to make sure that it is similar to the neighborhood that the subject property is in. Number two, and I kind of already touched on this, is looking at the renovation timeline. So if the current owners have already done renovations, you want to see how many renovations they did over what period of time. For example, if they did 20 renovations in the last 12 months, that's a lot different than them doing five renovations in the last 24 months because the rental premiums that they're receiving are going to be different. Or the rental premiums that you can assume you're going to achieve are going to be different in both of those scenarios. You want the one where they are renovating the units in a shorter period of time closer to when you're buying the property as opposed to less units over a longer period of time. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that is likely a question that is not asked by 70% of apartment investors whenever they look at a deal. I I now hope that everyone listening who is buying a value-add apartment community asks that question if the broker or the owner is touting that they have achieved the rental premiums, ask over what period of time and how many have you renovated? Because we've looked at deals where everything looked great. The area, the rent premiums, the year of construction, except when we asked what period of time did they achieve these rent premiums, it was over two and a half years. Uh And that's an indicator. There's many things that could be, but what we looked into further was, is that a indication that the market doesn't have the demand that's required in order to renovate within a 24-month period the entire property? And instead, they're cherry-picking certain residents as they come in and putting them in, and then the majority of people cannot pay or choose not to pay that rent premium for the upgraded apartments. And that could just destroy a value-add business plan if you're not able to do it within a certain period of time. Now, certainly, if your projections say you're going to do the renovations over a five-year period of time, then more power to you. You likely will be able to be able to, but it's likely that your projections are going to show a shorter period of time. So make sure that you ask that question. Exactly. And the third thing to look out for when reviewing the rental comps on the offer memorandum are the property operations. What I mean by this is look at your property and see who pays for the utilities. Do you pay for utilities or the residents pay for utilities? Are there various fees involved with moving in there? So application fees, pet fees, things like that. Are there fees associated with certain amenities at the property? Storage lockers, fitness center fees, sauna fees. I don't know, just any extra fees on top of just the rents that the residents have to pay need to match because if you have your property that the residents don't pay utilities but you're looking at the comps where they do pay utilities the rents demanded are going to be different typically if utilities are included in the rents then the rents are going to be a little bit higher and it's kind of cheating if you're using those rents at your property if the tenants themselves are going to have to pay for the utilities 
So the rents aren't going to match up. So make sure that the property operations match. So this is something that is a little bit more difficult because it's not going to be listed somewhere online. And that's where calling in to the actual competitors or visiting the competitors and asking these questions is something that you're going to need to do in order to determine if it's a fair rental comp or not. So those are the three main things to look out for when reviewing rental comps. Number one, distance from the property. Number two, the renovation timeline. Number three, the property operations. And then just quickly in general, to determine what a good rental comp is based off of those three things, as well as a couple of other factors. We want to make sure that the construction date is similar. We want to make sure that, again, the distance is similar. The number of units are similar. So it doesn't have to be an exact count, but a 50-unit apartment community is a lot different than a 300-unit apartment community in regards to amenities and things available to the residents. You also want to look at the unit type and size. So this is big. So what I mean by unit type is the floor plan. So number of bedrooms and bathrooms. Also square footage, because a 900 square foot two bed, two bath is going to have a different rent than a 1200 foot two bed, two bath unit. So when you're doing your rental comps, you actually want to determine the price per square unit of the competitors, and then use that to determine what the rents could be for your units based off of those square footage using the like unit types. Also important is the interior upgrades. So something I didn't mention about the rental premiums is make sure that when you're doing a rental comp analysis, make sure that you're looking at units that are going to be similar to your upgraded unit and not the current unit because for obvious reasons, but it might have been something you didn't think about, but the unit's going to be upgraded. So you want to know what similar upgraded units are going for in the market. And then lastly, you want to create a checklist of the amenities offered at the community to make sure that those match up with the amenities offered at your community. So is there a fitness center? Is there a sauna? Certain ceiling heights, certain types of amenities in the units, things like that. So create a checklist and make sure that those match up. And if not, then you're going to need to adjust your rents based off of that. And there's some amenities that matter more than others. You'll just have to have some market knowledge and use some common sense. Is the pool the same thing as having laundry? Could be. But is that the same thing as having a picnic table area? Probably not. So just talk to your local management company, have an idea there. One addition to what you mentioned about good rental comps and looking at the year built or year of construction it is possible to have a rental comp that is 15, 20, even 30 years older than your subject property if that other property has done recent renovations. So take a look at not only the year built, but if they have done recent renovations because we're thinking about this as a rental comp. So we're thinking about this from a potential resident standpoint. And when the potential resident walks in, are they wowed by the $3 million worth of renovations in this 1960s apartment community because they don't know it was built in 1960? They don't care. They just want to see what the aesthetics are and what it would be like to live there. So it is possible that you could have a wide range of year built with your rental comps if they recently renovated. That's a great point. So rental comps tips are number four. Number five, and it's the last one we're going to go over in this episode, has to do with this kind of the overall model. Make sure that you are confirming all of your stabilized assumptions. So those are the rents, your other revenue line items like vacancy and loss of lease, as well as the expenses. Make sure that your property management company 
confirms that these are accurate, which means first, when you are hiring your property management company, you need to make sure that you have that conversation with them up front and ask them if that's a service they're willing to provide. Ask them, if I were to find a deal, are you willing to review my five-year projections? And if they say yes, you want them to say yes, because they're the ones that are going to be operating the property. And so they should be looking at this because if they can't meet these numbers, then they shouldn't be recommending that you buy the deal or they shouldn't be managing it in the first place. So this is something that they should do, but some might not do that. Or some of you might not think to confirm those assumptions with your management company. So once you're finished with your model, and when you're reviewing the trailing 12-month expenses and the rent roll, you can create a list of questions to ask your property management company and the broker. And then once you have your finalized model, you can send it to your property management company and ask them, hey, can you take a look at this and let me know if this is something that you believe you'll be able to do. And of course, they're going to go into a lot more detail during the due diligence period, but you want to have at least a general understanding that they can operate the property at your stabilized assumptions before submitting the offer. It's a huge mistake a lot of investors make, and it's mind-boggling because I think the reason why the mistake is made of not sharing your projections and your underwriting with the management company prior to getting an accepted offer is because there's so much focus in books and in conversations and on podcasts on closing a deal. There's so much focus on closing a deal, but the number one risk is in the execution of the business plan. And one main thing we can do to protect against having a flawed business plan is sharing the business plan with your management partner prior to having an accepted offer to make sure that they agree that they can deliver on the assumptions that you have in your underwriting. And by the way, you should have more aggressive assumptions in the version that you share with the management company. And you should keep in your back pocket more conservative assumptions. That way, if they agree to the more aggressive assumptions, then you've got some wiggle room should they not mm -hmm. achieve those assumptions because you still have that difference there. And it is something that a lot of people don't do and it's a big mistake. And with the syndication book that we've got coming out, we have it broken out into four sections. One is experience, two is money, three is deal, and four is execution. And the reason why we have the fourth part in there is because it's not talked about a whole lot because it's not sexy, but mm -hmm. it's what makes you money or what loses you a lot of money. Exactly. And kind of leaning on your management company and your team is extremely important, especially when you're first starting out, because you aren't going to have the experience with the market to know what good assumptions are. I mean, you're going to have an idea, but you're not going to know how much it costs per year for payroll on your first deal yourself personally, or you have trouble coming up with you're going to a property and looking at it like, oh, it's going to cost $500,000 to renovate this property. You're not going to know that. So you have to lean on your team in the beginning before you gain that knowledge yourself through experience of doing these deals. So those are the first five tips. The next part that we do, we're going to focus more on the actual assumptions that you're inputting into cash flow calculator and kind of some of the things that I've seen that people miss out or that I've missed in the past. So the next one is going to be a lot more detailed and kind of digging into the numbers.
and we actually give away a version of our cash flow calculator. Yeah. When you pre-order the book, best ever apartment syndication book. So you can go to apartmentsyndicationbook.com. Not today, if you're listening to it when we're doing this episode, but by August the 20th, you'll be able to go there and pre-order the book and just forward your receipt once the book goes live to us at info at joefairless.com and you'll have a template or calculator that will help you with your assumptions. Speaking of underwriting, underwriting killed a deal recently for you. It did. It was a combination of underwriting and actually going to visit the property in person. So a quick story. So I'm going to start syndicating deals down here in Tampa. I've got a business partner who's a mini Joe. So he's a capital raiser. And I guess I'm like a mini Frank right now because I'll be doing the underwriting and the operate, um, asset management. And we've got our real estate broker. We've got our mortgage broker. We've got our property management company. So we've got our team together. And in fact, when we met with the property management company and the real estate broker, they were kind of a team. And when we were trying to qualify them, they brought us a deal. So we had to use them. And they were the best out of everyone we talked to. But they brought us a deal. It was a 120-unit building down here in a suburb of Tampa. And they sent me the offering memorandum and the rent roll. And I plugged that data in the cash flow calculator. And all I had at the time was the broker's performer. So I used that. And the deal looked great. Even at the extremely high purchase price, what they wanted, which was $7.5 million. It still made sense. It had an 18% IRR to the limited partners. So I was like, oh, we're going to buy the first deal that we look at. But of course, you have to do more than just looking at the OM, as I mentioned in this podcast. So we went and visited the property and it was way more distressed than the pictures let on and what Google Earth let on. So yeah, it was a mess. So I went what back. What were the main differences and how are you defining a mess between pictures and actually being there? The pictures were a lot different, sure. But my underwriting model based off of the offering memorandum the only exterior renovations were to replace the roofs and to install new AC units in the windows. And that was the only two exterior renovations. So that would have been around three hundred to $400,000 just for the other roofs and the AC units. Because it's 120 units, but it's 60 buildings with two units per building. So there's mm-hmm. 60 roofs. And I go and visit the property and realize, okay, well, we're going to paint all these units. Not only do we need to replace the roofs, but I don't know the exact terminology of it, but the siding that connects the roof to the actual building on probably 20% of the properties, that would have to be completely replaced. All the exteriors need to be painted. All the windows were really old, so we would have to replace all the windows. And windows are so expensive. We had to do a complete landscaping overhaul. And we just have dumpsters sitting in the parking lot, so we want to put fences around those dumpsters. Fence, yeah. And then there was also a really big green space by the clubhouse. And if you're listening, I'm doing air quotes for the clubhouse um, (laughs) because it was just a unit that was converted to a clubhouse. It wasn't very nice. So we would put a playground. We had to put a playground there because it's this big empty green space and there's really not amenities for a basketball court. And so that'd be a a big value add play. We had to redo the laundry facility as well as a clubhouse. So The exterior renovation budget, these would have to be done because it's so distressed. It's not like we're doing this just because we want to. It has to be done in order to demand the rents we wanted. And just that alone brought the exterior renovations to $1.5 million, which was almost three times as much as what it would have cost to renovate the interiors, which is where most of the money is going to come from. 
So we're not going to recapture most of that $1.5 million. And another problem is that the current owner purchased this property a couple of months ago during the pre-foreclosure process. So there is no T12 for the property. So All they're the, looking to flip it? Yeah, basically. Flip it without renovating it. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yep. So when I talked with my mortgage broker, he essentially said that it's going to be difficult to get good financing on a property if we don't have the T12, if we don't know what the historicals are. So I'm still kind of confused on that because I talked to my real estate broker and he was saying that he had a lender who qualified the deal for financing, but the financing was really expensive. So when I inputted that in my cash flow calculator, the deal would only make sense at a purchase price below $6 million, which I don't think the owner is going to go for because when they purchased it a couple of months ago, they bought it for $5.2 million. I'm pretty sure they purchased it with cash. And I think the lowest they're willing to go is 6.5, and it just doesn't make sense. Plus, we'd have to raise a lot of money because the financing that we got from a real estate broker is not going to include renovations. And we're kind of leaning away from doing a bridge loan just because the bridge loan length will be too short. And when we're talking to our investors, a selling point, so to speak, would be long-term debt. And so if we can't get debt, that's at least as long as a business plan, we're just not going to be confident selling that to our investors. So just kind of all of that is the reason why for now the deal is essentially disqualified. I do have a call with my mortgage broker and real estate broker today to talk about it more because I'm kind of confused as to number one, my real estate broker, how he thinks we're going to be able to qualify for financing on a deal that doesn't have a T12. And then I want to talk to my mortgage broker to see how they approach those types of deals because he said that it's possible, but it has to be a really good deal and the story has to make sense. So I'll know more today after those two conversations. But overall, we still probably won't do it just because it's a lot more distressed than we would like. Now, a silver lining in all this is that when we went to visit the property, we drove around the area and directly across the street, there is a property that is a little bit smaller. It's only 44 units, but from looking at it from the outside, it is the exact type of deal we want to do. Something else I forgot to mention, Joe, is that we would want to put central AC in all those units too. So that would have been insanely expensive. But this building across the street, they already have central AC. The roofs are fine and there's more units under each roof. And just overall is in much better condition than this property. And I could tell the resident base is a lot better than this property too. I thought you mentioned you had budgeted for window units. We did. We had two scenarios, one with window units, one with central AC. Mm. And we didn't see any other apartments in the area that had window units except for ours. So we figured we'd have to put central AC in there, which would have been six, seven grand per unit. So we're going to have a kind of owner across the street, even just for practice purposes, because I looked it up and they bought the property a year ago at about 60K per unit. And it's still not in that good of condition. So maybe they would be interested in selling it after a year, but I don't know if they've really done much to it since then. But just looking at it from the outside, it's exactly the kind of value of deal we want to do. So you know, we're going to reach out to the owner. At the same time, I told my real estate broker why I didn't want to buy the deal he sent us, but also, hey, across the street, we found this deal. Here's a link to the apartments.com listing. Here's a link to the appraisal site. This is the exact kind of deal we're looking for. Do you know the owner? If not, that's fine. But looking at this deal, this will give you an idea of, of what we're looking for. So if you come across deals, you can um, send them to us because we don't want to be distressed investors. We want to be value-add. So we want to have that five to seven-year hold. 
Whereas this deal, we have to sell it after a couple of years in order for it to make sense because of how much money we were investing in it. And if we just hold it for three additional years, the IRR would be too low. So it was an amazing learning experience for sure. That's awesome. I'm glad you told that story. And I know a lot of people are as well and looking forward to hearing next week how it continues to evolve. Alrighty. So just to wrap up here, make sure everyone goes to the best ever community on Facebook. That's besteverycommunity.com in order to answer the question of the week where we will take your responses and create a blog post with them. This week's question is which year was your best year in real estate and why? So I've read some of your stories on the community so far, and I think this is going to be a very inspiring blog post. I was thinking about what my best year is, and I'm going to say my best year is going to be 2018 because I'm going to put an apartment under contract by the end of the year. So it's going to be an amazing year. I'm going to look back in, in five years. I've got a massive portfolio of apartments and realize that this was one of the launching points, right? As I think my second best year is probably the year that I met Joe and started working for Joe because if I didn't work for Joe, I would have never done this because I've been way too afraid. You're the man. Well, it's <laughs> mutually beneficial, that's for sure. And I'd say this year has been my best year in real estate. We sold two properties for very good returns to our investors are under contract to sell one more in about, oh, actually seven days from now. And we've purchased some too. Most importantly, all roads lead back to performance and executing the business plan. And that's what gets looked over a lot of the times during conversations. And that's what makes us money or loses us money. And we have performed very well and our team has performed very well mm -hmm. this year in particular. So certainly this year would be the best year for me. Absolutely. All right. And then lastly, guys and girls listening, please go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast as well as leave a review for your opportunity to be the review of the week, which we will read aloud on following Friday. This week's review is from not necessarily sure. <laughs> what this name is, but it's spelled T out. T S A V O C A 203. So T Savoca 23. Okay. And they said, Joe and his team have really created a winner with this podcast. The guests represent a huge cross section of all real estate related topics, which brings value to all listeners. You can truly get a comprehensive education on the real estate biz from this show and quickly level up from entry-level investor to a seasoned pro just by listening to the advice and then executing on it every day. This show plus real-life progress and dedication equal real estate investing success. Thanks to Joe and the team. Keep up the great work. Wow, very thoughtful and thorough review and great advice too. Uh -huh. Thank you for taking time out of your day to share your review about the podcast and everyone else, please do the same. If you haven't already, helps us attract quality guests and ultimately helps you. You write the review and then other potential guests see that and we continue to attract high quality guests and then you benefit as a result of writing the review. So thanks for doing that. Really appreciate it. And everyone enjoyed our conversation. 
next week, we will be talking about the execution in apartment syndication. And we'll follow up with the second part to this conversation on underwriting tips in about a month or so because we've got the best ever apartment syndication book launch that we're going to be focused on for the next four weeks on follow along Friday. We're going to help you in the experience, finding money, finding deals and the execution. So we're going to have a theme for each of the next four weeks, experience, money, deals, execution, give you tips on it. And also just talk a little bit about the benefits of getting the book and all that good stuff. But it won't be salesy. It'll be value-add. We don't do salesy stuff. It's all about you and helping you move forward with, with valuable stuff. Enjoy our conversation. Talk to you tomorrow. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart. Get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.